Greetings, this is Douglas Gimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. I'm joined today on the podcast by Micah Martin, the Director of Research at Diamond Hill. Micah has been a guest on the podcast on several occasions, and we've covered such diverse topics as African swine fever, the potential of beef and protein shortages during the pandemic, and the impacts of the shift to cage-free eggs. Micah graduated from Cedarville University and received his MBA from The Ohio State University. He has been with Diamond Hill since 2014 and covers consumer commodities and home builders. Micah sent a note around to the investment team early in March outlining the importance of Ukraine in the global agricultural commodities market, and I thought it might be useful to have him join the podcast to discuss the impact of the conflict in Ukraine. It's a very fluid situation, and by the time this podcast is published, the landscape is almost guaranteed to have shifted once more. But even if peace were to be achieved at this very moment, something which I believe we all hope for, the impact to the agricultural market has already been felt. We're getting back to the office more and more, so the risk for barking dogs or yelling children is diminishing, but we could still have some unwanted background noises, and for that, I'll apologize ahead of time. As always, stay safe and stay healthy, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Micah Martin. Micah, welcome back once more to Understanding Edge. It's good to have you back. Good to be back, Doug, as always. You've joined me on the podcast in the past to discuss African swine fever, the impact of the pandemic on protein and beef supplies, and once more, the topic of the conversation is a bit dark. Uh, in late February, as we all know, Russia invaded Ukraine and the conflict has dominated the news globally. Obviously, there's the immediate and tragic impact of the conflict upon the civilian population and both fighting forces. But let's take a look at the longer term impact from a standpoint that I'm not sure many people have considered, uh, and that's the impact on food prices globally. So specifically, how does this conflict impact the spring planting season and what are the implications of a delayed season in Ukraine? Yeah, it's a good question. And I mean, to your point, there, there is not a lot of press about um, that it's increasing a little bit as the as wheat and corn prices, a lot of grain prices have, have been pretty volatile. Uh, kind of taking a step back to elementary school, I know I learned in element, elementary school that uh, I learned that Ukraine, I didn't know much about Ukraine, but I knew that it was the breadbasket of Europe, um, kind of learning about that. And then that, that idea is really coming to the fore now. So <clears throat> for reference, Ukraine is roughly 10% of global wheat exports, 15% of global barley exports, and 15% of global um, corn exports. So it's a very large exporter of grains to the world. With the current situation, obviously, to your point, you know, the, the main tragedy is what's going on with the people and, and the uh, people there. But as you think about the key volatile driver of what's going on in the grain market is essentially how long this will last. So if you think about it, if you're the, a farmer, do you want to go out and drive around in your tractor and plant corn if Russian tanks and troops are driving? You, you're not really, that's, that's not your priority. Your priority is taking care of your family. Um, and, and being there as much as possible. So um, to your point, you, you mentioned the spring planting season. Last year, I believe the barley planting season started in late March, kind of early April timeframe. Um, so we're just gonna have to kind of see, it's, it's, it's very um, kind of the timing is very critical with that. It obviously, you know, you plant the crops in the spring, they do have some winter wheat and things like that, but they plant the crops in the spring and harvest them in the fall. The climate is not that different than North American kind of planting seasons. But uh, you know, it's it's just high. It's it's very speculative currently. Um, you don't know how much access will they have to diesel fuel to run their tractors. Um, will their bridges and roads be 
um, the infrastructure be enough for them to plant. Um, you know, I wouldn't bet against the Ukrainian farmers. You know, I, they're tough, and I, you know, they how much how much will they kind of still try to you know plant some crops? But the the ultimate thing the grain markets are looking for is to understand if there's going to be a cease if there's a ceasefire, then in the next few weeks. Right now, it's it's St. Patty's Day, so you know it's yeah in the next two or three weeks, if there's some sort of ceasefire and they're able to all go in in April and plant their crops, it's not that big of a deal because obviously they won't be able to plant the full amount because there's been all kinds of disruption and everything like that. But we're, that's, that's the key unknown is when the timing of the ceasefire is, how that matches up with the spring planting season. And uh, many of those things are, we don't really know what the conditions on the ground are, but it's definitely extremely relevant given Ukraine's place in the in the global in the global um, agricultural markets obviously as you said everything's very fluid we don't know what's going to happen but some of the things that you pointed out you know that you know i was reading a story yesterday about a, a battle in one city in ukraine and they blew up the bridge that crossed this very important river so even if you can you know grow your crops it's going to be hard to get them to where they need to go because of so much damage to the infrastructure you know we've already seen a dramatic increase in the price of wheat and corn since the beginning of the conflict but how bad do you think the price move can get if we don't get that ceasefire? And, and what can be done to mitigate the impact, not only here in the United States, but globally? It's hard to know exactly. I'm not going to define like an exact number because it's hard to say. I, I think, you know, prices got, you know, high. I think corn on the Chicago Board of Trade maybe got, I'm not looking at it in front of me, but I think maybe like roughly $7.60. Maybe wheat futures maybe got close to 12, you know, 12 13. And they, they both have come down since. Um, kind of with the idea that maybe maybe talks of ceasefire uh, are maybe going to encourage that to, to be less of an impact. But if the war were just to be this ongoing guerrilla warfare fighting for a long period of time, I wouldn't be surprised to see those highs get taken out. Uh, if um, people are just making bets on whether or not Ukraine will get their 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 fields planted and how much, and that's kind of the that's kind of the key key dynamic. So. Ultimately, have to see, but the um, I would not be surprised in kind of a worst case scenario if the highs for you know wheat and corn and some of those some of those commodities were to get surpassed in some sort of uh, worst case worst case scenario. So each country has the ability to grow crops to feed their populace, but the ever growing interconnectedness of the global economy has created an imbalance in many countries where short term disruption in an area like agriculture could be devastating. What areas of the world are most susceptible to the kind of disruption that we're seeing in Ukraine? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it's one of the kind of second order, third order effects of, of some of this, some of this stuff. So uh, a lot of countries, I mean, the U.S. is an example, are, are very self-sufficient in food. We can, we can grow our own food and feed our, feed our population. Uh, but there's a lot of countries that it's not the case. Um, and so a number of Ukrainian, the most significant kind of Ukrainian trading partners are Egypt, Morocco is a big one, Turkey is a big one, Indonesia, um, it's the world's fourth most populous country. A lot of people I, I don't feel like are aware of that. It's a very, very large country growing fast. It imports roughly 25% of its wheat from um, Ukraine and to make instant noodles and that, and that kind of thing. So um, there's, there's a serious number of countries that heavily rely on the Ukrainian uh, imports. 
And that doesn't necessarily just if the Ukraine, Ukrainian exports and import them into their country. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they can't get food somewhere else. They can, but the problem is they just have to pay more. The prices are going to go up. And um, for a lot of you know the world that lives on a dollar, two dollars, three dollars a day, a fifty percent increase in wheat. It's again, it's somewhat debated, but you know, their general agreement that the rising food prices you know impacted the Arab Spring a decade ago. Any major disruptions to the supply of food or increase in price or inability for people to feed their family can cause uh, pretty significant ramifications um, that. I can't predict. I can't predict. Nobody can. Nobody can really predict. Governments know this too. So maybe they subsidize um, the food or, or, or different factors. Um, so we'll, you know, we'll just have to see. The other factor that is always worth keeping in mind is that the farmers can always plant more the next year. Like if, if corn prices go up or wheat prices, that there is flexibility around the world where you know incents them to plant certain crops or or different things. So. You know, the world over you know a multi-year period often figures some of this stuff out and can try to you know expand production in different factors. The one factor that is somewhat difficult to handicap in, in some ways is the is all it's probably even less discussion than the the grain dynamic is the fertilizer production. Russia accounts for a very large percentage of global fertilizer production, which is a key input cost to farmers. So you know all else equal, the higher prices would be good to farmers and they would they would produce more crops, but especially in Europe and um, you know areas that are closer to Russia that account for more of the Russian uh, it, the Russian fertilizers is a greater percentage of their input costs. It, that's another extreme area of uncertainty. Normally, if the costs go up, grain prices go up, and the fertilizer costs stay flat, farmers will just try to produce as much more as they can. But when the key input costs are rising, that also could impact the supply side. So. Um, the, at, in short, uh, people are just going to be paying more. If this keeps going, if there's no ceasefire, people are going to be paying more for food. It has a much greater impact on many of the kind of um, more emerging markets that are more heavily dependent on this food for key, you know, a very large percentage of household budgets in, in some of these areas. And the potential impacts are very hard to, to handicap, but they are exist and we're you know, trying to pay attention to what we can that it would be relevant to our companies. So you mentioned it. So, you know, I'll drill down into a little bit more because I think it is very important. We've talked about Ukraine and the impacts of the conflict on Ukraine and their production. But you did mention, you know, Russian fertilizer and how important that is to the global market. The, the conflict's not occurring in Russia. They're still able to produce. But with the sanctions that have been leveled against them, uh, by the United States and other countries. How is that going to impact the global fertilizer market in that, if I'm understanding it correctly, fertilizer that's produced that normally is sold throughout the world from Russia, that's all being shut down to a certain degree because of these sanctions? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. The, it's hard. You see different quotes. You see different, different um, items. But there's a lot of places that indicate that fertilizer prices are up. 200, 300%. Um, in some cases, depending on where you are and that kind of thing, um, grain prices are up quite a bit, but that that's it's a high degree of uncertainty because if there's a ceasefire, what's going to happen? Is your fertilizer cost going to stay high? Is your uh, is your grain price is going to come down? And it's just it's a very challenging period for and so obviously some farmers have already purchased their fertilizer for this year. Um, not everybody waits until late March to purchase their fertilizers. People sometimes will store in advance. So some, it might not impact 
you know, everyone, but it's definitely the, the challenge in a nutshell is if that is that if fertilizer prices continue to stay high, it could inhibit supply coming back online at the margin and keep grain prices high to um, potentially impact negatively impact you know people inflation etc whatever you want to you want to talk about it um, because um, it's a you know key building block of modern agriculture are these are these fertilizers that can that can help grow and and um, you know have the crops develop in, in the way that it's very productive so it's it's just really hard to, it's hard to know but the, the the key these are the key pivot points the you know the, the spring planting season whether that will happen or not is there a ceasefire going to happen in the next six weeks four weeks or not what's going to happen with the sanctions on the Russian fertilizer market uh, and then indirectly what's happening in the other grain markets around the world are 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 they going to be able to produce if there's a drought in Latin America, that makes things even worse and, and that kind of thing. So these are the key drivers that are impacting some of these um, dynamics. Yeah. And as, as you've emphasized, you know, it's all uncertain. Like we can't predict the future. We don't know exactly how things are going to play out. So it's hard to, to think about it in those terms, but I appreciate, you know, the insight. One of the things that I think listeners will want to hear, you know, specific to Diamond Hill, what holdings do you think are most likely to be impacted by the increase in commodity pricing, whether it's directly or indirectly through higher feed prices or even you know higher fertilizer? We don't have a, a significant number of agricultural companies, but we do have some. And so um, a few names that all else equal, higher grain prices are a negative would be Calmain Foods, which makes produces eggs, the world's largest egg producer. Uh, obviously, corn and grains are a, are a large input to the, it's what chickens eat when they're making the eggs, essentially. And then Seaboard Foods, which is a, a large pork, one of the largest pork producers in the U.S., and they also own a 50% stake in Butterball um, turkeys, which they all eat a lot of grain. All else equal, more uh, higher input costs are a negative if they can't get higher prices. The silver lining sometimes in the medium term is that when grain prices are higher, um, egg producers are less likely to want to add more chickens to their flock because they're unsure if, if they're going to be able to sell them profitably. So sometimes when there's higher grain prices, it can actually keep supply a little bit lower. Uh, but that is something we're watching. And you are seeing some prices move positively in some of those um, you know, dynamics as well. So thus far, it seems okay, but that could potentially be a negative. Um, probably the most the most direct beneficiary that we own is um, Archer Daniels Midland. It's a very large agricultural uh, uh, company. They do a lot of lots of different things, and um, they're very well situated. Their their base they like like most large grain traders. They have a base and had some operations in Ukraine, but their the core of their operations is in North America, which is. Um, being is obviously being very stable really very helps them helps them quite a bit in the global agricultural trade you know if indonesia i mentioned earlier needs wheat or they need um you know inputs or, or some of these countries if you can't call ukraine who do you call you know and adm would be on the short list of, of companies that can help provide and solve some of those some of those global global problems so their north american exposure in um kind of kind of key uh foundational aspect of the global food supply is allowing them to, you know, not just survive, but to continue to grow and add value and thrive and, and benefit from some of these, some of these dynamics. Um, and there's lots of Diamond Hill holdings that are impacted in some way, shape or form, but, you know, in the, the companies I follow, those are the, probably the three most direct exposures to these grain market uh, moves. 
it, it seems like each time you're on, and I talked about it a little bit in the beginning, there's some kind of darker theme. And, and we've talked about some of it already. But one thing I can't let you leave without talking about was some recent news uh, here in the States regarding egg production. You know, we've discussed the impact of disease on food production before when we spoke about African swine flu. Now it looks like we're dealing with the bird flu impacting our chicken and egg production. So can you provide a quick update on what's been happening in the egg markets? Yeah, sure. It's it's a it's a people are are paying quite a bit of attention to it in the in the in the poultry poultry market. So brief background, the the probably the most significant event in the glo- in the US poultry industry history probably was there was a major outbreak of a bird flu in 20 spring of 2015 from March to May 2015 um, quite you know, I think it was I think it was I believe it was roughly 12% of the the egg supply in the US went offline a very large percentage of turkeys as well um, as, as this uh, bird flu spread um, since 2015 and then you saw huge you know huge price moves in eggs and, and turkey and everything like that it's just the supply really really shrunk um, since then, you know, there's every once in a while, there's an outbreak or like a small headline of something happening. But this spring, thus far, is the most significant outbreak since since then. We're roughly in the last two weeks or so, um, there have been outbreaks in roughly five million hens in the U.S. And the, and the egg production have been had to be depopulated to, to stop the spread. That's roughly one and a half percent of um, egg production in the U.S., Last time, it, the outbreaks kind of went from March to May. It's being impacted by by birds migrating, um, kind of back, uh, going. You know, they go south for the winter and they come north for the summer. And so, as they're coming back, they're kind of spreading some of this stuff. So, that's also it's also pretty uncertain. But you are already starting to see big moves in price in eggs as people are trying to get ahead of the game. If, if they're afraid if this were to become a 2015 situation, um, and we'll we'll just have to see. It's a it's a very it's a very um, moving, it's a very much a moving target currently, but it is something we're watching um, very carefully, and uh, it would have a most direct impact on cow main foods or an egg uh, producer that we that we own. Well, Micah, thanks again for joining me. It's a tragic and scary situation that's occurring in Ukraine, and you know we all hope for a quick end to the hostilities. Also, next time we have you on, we've got to have. A happier topic because every time you come on it seems like we're talking about pandemic or flus that are affecting pigs and chickens so let's find something happy to talk about next time you're on Good. thank you for coming on today and sharing some insights as to what's going on uh, around the world thanks doug and uh, happy saint patrick's day and uh, we'll talk again soon this material is for informational purposes and is prepared by diamond hill capital management The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.